Jr. here. Thanks for hitting play. So much is going on in the world around us, and it can be pretty scary. How do we as Christians survive all of this? And are we asking the right question? Stay tuned. I've been spending a lot, or a lot most, of the summer up at our camp. I don't know if you know this, but we have 120 acres of land right on the lake Scores of cabins, a couple houses, some buildings, beautiful property. I mean, hills and woods and a big beach and the stars. Oh my goodness, the stars. The other night, I could see the cloud of the Milky Way. I'd never seen that before. I just, I love it there. Fishing, making fires. And every time I go to camp, I always have this one thought that hits me. It's always when I'm sitting in my, I've got like low chair that I sit in. Uh, right by the fire, underneath the stars. And when I'm sitting in that chair, it always hits me. We should just stay here. And it's not because it's like it's the country, and I grew up you know, more in a rural area. So it's like, oh, I miss, the, you know, I, miss, I miss the country. It is a little bit of that, but it's mostly because of where our society is heading. There's a lot of junk around us, and it seems to be getting worse. The biggest entertainment companies right now, like Disney and Netflix, top producers on YouTube, they have big agendas, and it's no secret. They'll even say that. They want to impact the next generation's worldview. News outlets have agendas. They're divisive, false information. Like some of us, we don't even know what to believe anymore. It's exhausting, isn't it? One of, uh, one of the teachers in our church just quit their job because in their district, there's some curriculum being pushed that they didn't feel comfortable teaching. And so they actually quit and, and moved away. Now, I'm not trying to like sound the alarm, but, but our culture is shifting in a more bolder way than it ever has. And so for me, when I, turn on, you know, when I turn off the TV and I unplug and I leave the city and I'm sitting by that fire out in the country around nobody, I start thinking, I don't want to go back I don't want to subject my kids to this junk and division and fighting. I just want to sit under these stars by this fire until Jesus comes back. Like my girls and I, you know, it will be that weird family churning our own butter, completely oblivious to the world's latest drama and scare tactics. You know, it's just like refreshing. I'm just going to stay here. Heck, you can come with if you want. Like we have 120 acres. We've got a lot of buildings. We can just all move there, start our own little town, you know, like a Christian Mayberry. I think it's a good idea. I've pitched it before. It always gets turned down. It's like, Junior, you already look like a cult leader. Stop talking that way. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I don't mean to sound like an old man, but these are, these are real thoughts by a lot of people today. I can't tell you how many people have come into my office with those thoughts. What do we do? Because I just don't want, I feel like a complete outsider right now. Society is messy. Culture is shifting. We see many casualties of people getting caught up in the mess and embracing latest trends and just walking away from the church. And then we here in the church are kind of left going, okay, uh, what do we do now? Because I don't want to run with society. I don't want to embrace and promote everything that society promotes. On the other hand, my, my kids, my, my grandkids, can we survive in this shifting culture? So like, do we run from culture? Is the Amish onto something? Like, how do we survive this culture without losing our identity? Have you ever thought about this? How do we survive in this culture? And is it even possible? And sometimes you ask me, I don't even know sometimes. Like, I have friends who I thought, man, they would never walk away from Jesus. We grew up together. They were in church every single weekend. They loved Jesus. 
Then they got sucked into a cultural trend or politics or movements, and now they want nothing to do with holiness, nothing to do with God's community. When I look at them, I look at this, I'm like, is it even possible to survive in this society? I've spent so much time thinking about this. It keeps me up at night. No joke. It keeps me up at night. Because I I want nothing more than for my girls to follow Jesus to the end. And so I feel like I have to answer this question. And the more I've thought about this, the more I wonder, maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe we're not aiming high enough. See, let's talk about something that we really need to talk about. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. Grab, grab one of the Bibles in the chairs. It's page 34 in those, uh, in those Bibles. Otherwise, I know a lot of people use phones, tablets, have uh, the Bridge app. And we have notes on there as well. But really encourage you to, to grab a Bible. This is not junior speech time. Nobody had ever come to that. This is we're all going to get into God's Word together. Genesis chapter 41. As we said, we're in this series about Joseph, the life of Joseph, a man who dominates the pages of Genesis. So much so that uh, this man, more words in Genesis are spent on this man than any other character. And so when scripture gives that much attention to one man, it means, hey, we got to know this guy. And so we've been getting to know him all summer. We start out by looking at the family that he came from. Joseph came from a dysfunctional family, a passive dad who kept running from conflict. And when you run from conflict, you end up living a life of conflict because conflict just follows you. And so Joseph came from this divided and envy-riddled home. A fracture in the family leads to Joseph being sold as a slave to Egypt. I just want you to imagine that for a second. 17-year-old kid walking toward Egypt, the reigning superpower. If there's anyone who's going to forget about their identity in God, it's Joseph. He's 17 years old. He's still young enough to fit in in Egypt, marry an Egyptian woman, have Egyptian babies, serve Egyptian gods, forget about the painful past of of his family. Like Egypt, this is perfect place to really buy into. But this 17-year-old kid doesn't just survive in this culture, doesn't just hold on to his identity. He transforms Egypt from the inside out. And we're going to look more at that theme closer. Today, we rewind the story a bit, and we find Joseph in prison. This is where we start. Let me pray, and we'll jump right into this. God, I thank you so much for your word. May you remind us right now just of the weight of this moment, of opening up your pages and hearing from the God of the universe, the God who spoke this world, this universe into existence. You mapped planetary orbits, and yet you wrote these words for us to not just read, but to be transformed by. We thank you so much for your word. We believe it is true. And we sit here humbled with open hearts, waiting for you to speak because you will. We ask that your Holy Spirit illuminate this text to us and may we not push against what you have for us. May we not push against any conviction. We ask that you should convict each and every one of us in this room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into Genesis chapter 41, the cell door slowly creaks open, jolting Joseph from his sleep expecting to see the prison guard, Joseph looks at a decorated officer of Pharaoh standing over him. Pharaoh wishes to see you. Come with me. His stomach drops. These have been the last words prisoners have heard down here. What's next is either release, but more likely death. 
He walks those stairs, those stairs he's only ever dreamt of really walking up ever since he's been down here, walking up those stairs and out that door. He walks up those stairs, higher on the staircase than he's been in 10 years, through the door. That's when the sunlight hits him. It's unbearable. He's seen very little of the sun this last decade. As his eyes adjust to the sunlight, he's led by the arm to another building just outside the palace. His unwashed, matted hair is cut. A barber is brought in to shave his head and his face clean. Pharaoh will not meet with anyone showing any sign of dirt. After the razor, he's washed, he's scrubbed head to toe, and he's given a special Egyptian garment. He hasn't worn anything this nice since the infamous coat that his dad gave him. As he puts it on, he just doesn't feel himself. His, his beard, which the Hebrews took so much pride in, his beard lies on the floor. His shaved head looks like that of an Egyptian priest. His clothes match that of an Egyptian priest. He looks like someone that he is not. But he doesn't have time to adjust to all of these feelings. He's quickly whisked to the ornate court of Pharaoh, lined with gold walls, colorful tapestries hang from the ceiling, tables of fruit everywhere. Yet there sits him. Pharaoh, looking right at Joseph. And with a booming and dominating voice, Pharaoh tells him to interpret a dream. And Joseph, trying not to allow his voice to shake, speaks back. Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, here's why I want to just take a time out here. Joseph, Joseph, why bring up God here? First off, I don't think Pharaoh cares. Probably just went in one ear, not the other. Also, Pharaoh thinks he's God. So as nice and as like maybe gutsy as this is, it doesn't do anything, but it maybe annoy Pharaoh. And there's something here in this verse, something very, very convicting. This is a huge identity conversation that Joseph starts with. See, the quickest way to lose your identity is to stop talking about it. The first step to walking away from God, the first step from walking away from Jesus is to stop talking about him. Nobody can take your identity. I think a lot of us are freaking out in this world, thinking the world's gonna t- culture's going to take our identity. Nobody can take your identity. But you can lose it when you stop talking about who you are. This is one of the things that's on my heart. I was, I was talking with another pastor about this uh, two weeks ago. It's just been on my heart that I've seen so many pastors' kids just walk away from the church, walk away from God, want nothing to do with God. And I, I, it's on my heart. It's like, man, I would hate for that to happen uh, to my girls. I've seen it all the time. This pastor had said something I just think so brilliant but so simple. As he had said, if you want to stop that from happening, the best thing you can do is just constantly talk about who you are in the home. This is why we're followers of Jesus. We follow Jesus. This is who you are. You are God's. You're a follower of Jesus. Talk about the identity. Talk about the identity. Because the quickest ways to lose, the quickest way to lose your identity is to stop talking about it. And the reason is, is you are what you talk about. You are what you talk about. You identify with what you talk about the most. This is kind of why the the pronoun discussion right now in our world is like a big discussion, right? Right? Like, you know, people put their preferred pronouns now on their bios on like Instagram or or Facebook, like he, she, they, you know, it, whatever, because we realize we are what what we talk about. And somehow we've reduced ourselves now down to mainly pronouns. But gender is like this really big deal right now. So this is everywhere. You got to put your pronoun out there. You are what you talk about. So let me ask you, what about you? 
when someone says your name, what comes to their mind? Politics. Oh, yeah, poli- She's super, super leftist. Oh, he's like a ultra conservative. He's all about his company. You know, she, she, uh, she only talks about her kids. She's just a mom. You know, well, he's all sports. She's all movies. They're all health. They're all trends. Like when your name comes up in a discussion, what do you think is associated with your name? Or maybe another way to ask this is, what do you talk about the most? How much do you talk about God? How he's blessed you, what he means to you, what he's doing in your life, what you're learning about him. If that's something you rarely ever talk about, can you really say that he's your identity? See, maybe we're too worried about society stealing my identity and not worried enough about us holding on to it. Joseph walks into that palace courts going, I'm holding on to my identity by speaking my identity, by putting it on my lips. Because he knows you are what you talk about. And not only does that help him keep his identity, it lays the framework for influence. Because after Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, look what comes out of Pharaoh's mouth in verse 38 of chapter 41. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? And whom is the spirit of God? This is remarkable right here. Joseph puts the very name of Yahweh on the lips of Pharaoh. You think your neighbors are, and coworkers are hard to reach with the gospel? They're not Pharaoh. They don't think they're God. And now you have Pharaoh speaking the name of God. And it didn't happen by, by Joseph walking in, storming in. Hey, Pharaoh, I'm going to take a stand here. Egypt sucks. Your gods are false. Your people are pagans. Your temples are useless. Your taxes are corrupt. Let me read you my latest post on social media. This will really change your mind, Pharaoh. He doesn't do any of that. Because he knows all that's going to do nothing. Like, yeah, yeah, there's a time and a place to take a stand. But ultimately, Joseph understands what he's doing. He's here to work hard in the name of God. And he's going to bless in the name of God. And he's going to represent in the name of God. And that simple but powerful approach puts the very name of God on the tongue of Pharaoh. And in this, Joseph, through Scripture... Is giving us an approach to culture. You want to hold on to your identity? Instead of folding like a cheap suit, be a standout. Instead of folding like a cheap suit, there's a lot of people folding like cheap suits today, be a standout. As Joseph walks into Pharaoh's chamber, it would have been very customary to worship Pharaoh. It's just what you would have done. Make a sacrifice of gratitude to Ra. That would really get you far. This would prove his allegiance and, and align himself with Joseph. Play this political game, Joseph. Walk in there, worship Pharaoh, offer a sacrifice. Joseph doesn't do any of that. But how many Christians today are, are, are right there? I'm not worshiping Pharaoh, but doing whatever is customary to align themselves with pop culture and trends. Celebrating what is customary to celebrate because that's going to put you in good graces. This is the greatest temptation for the church today. I want the world, but I also want God. I want to accept and I want to celebrate and try to align myself with pop culture, popular opinion, but I still want God. And the reality is, is you can't have both. Had Joseph did what was customary here, aligned himself with Pharaoh, he would have forfeited his influence, he would have lost his identity, and Pharaoh would not be speaking in the name of God. Joseph decides here, I'm not just going to try to survive 
If I wanted to survive, I would just try to fit in. Joseph intentionally chooses, no, I'm going to stand out here. But here's the thing with all of this. At some level, I kind of feel like I'm preaching to the choir here because I know our church community. I know many of you. You know, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here. So let me just, let's just take this a level deeper and maybe we can hit a little bit closer to home on this. My fear is that more of us are closer to folding like a cheap suit than we realize. Because, and I'm with you on this, okay? So I'm preaching to myself here. Because what is on our lips is about the same as what is on our neighbor's lips. A conversation with us is not much different than a conversation with the common unbeliever down the street. And we're not looking to stand out. We feel uncomfortable talking about God. We feel awkward bringing up, God, bringing up our faith. These are signs of folding. These are signs of caving. We must remember, God has placed people in your life and he has put you in positions and he has handed you opportunities. Are you speaking in the name of God or are you just mainly trying to blend in and survive? See, when we love people but don't speak the name of God, we actually usher them to the gates of hell. And I know that sounds really strong, but just think about it. When we love people and we lead good lives and we bless others, which we should be doing, but we never speak the name of God, we love and we bless people right up to the gates of hell. That's serious. Stand out. Get comfortable with bringing up the name of God, what he means to you, what he's doing in your life. The more you do it, the better you get. It's not awkward or uncomfortable. It's beautiful and natural because it's just what you do. It's part of who you are. You're here to stand out. This is what Joseph is doing. We continue on to verse 45. It says, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath Paneah, and he gave him in marriage, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest. Of on. So there's a lot here. I just want to unpack this for a second because uh, there's been debate over this verse a bit. So I just want to, we'll stop here for, for just a second. First, in the first part of this verse, they changed Joseph's name. Joseph's a good name. I mean, Jesus's dad will be named Joseph, right? It's, it's a good name. Good, strong Hebrew name. It's the only thing that he's got from his mom and his dad. It's the only thing he's got is his name. And, and some have said, you know, Joseph should not have accepted this new name here, this Egyptian name. Because he's supposed to hold on to his you know, Hebrew identity. God is working through his family. He should have rejected this Hebrew name, which I totally get. But I actually disagree for two reasons. First off, if, if Pharaoh gives you a name and, and you've been a slave, just take the freaking name. Okay? It's not a sin. He, they're going to call you whatever anyways. But the second reason, maybe the bigger reason, is the meaning of this new name. Joseph's new name means God speaks and saves. I think this is beautiful. There's this redemptive quality to his new name. Now the man in charge of Egypt, his name bears the very name of God and testifies to the power of God in their language. So now everybody in Egypt will know God saves is his name. He saved Joseph and now he's saving Egypt. But the other part of, of, of this verse is, is Joseph is given a wife, specifically the daughter of a priest. And so at first read, and this is what I thought, right? At first read, I, I look at this and go, well, this isn't right. right? Pagan, Gentile, idolatrous, like shouldn't have union with her. What's going on here? Maybe, if that's the case. If you were to read through the, the, the Midrash, 
um, which is an ancient Jewish like commentary on, on the, the Torah. The, the Midrash argues that this, this woman, Esenath, has Jewish heritage. Uh, the Midrash even provides a short ancestry on, on who she is. See, the Semite population in Egypt during this time was, was growing, um, so it's not far-fetched. It's, it's very possible that she may have been like this Hebrew slave temple uh, girl. Her name, though, is extremely pagan. Esenath literally means she belongs to Neith, an Egyptian god. So there's redemption happening here. She no longer belongs to Neith. She belongs to Joseph. Joseph belongs to God. She belongs to God. She will bear Joseph's children, meaning she will produce two of the tribes of Israel. So God, through Joseph, is taking this temple slave girl, making her his, and producing new life. It's the story of us. Right? We were slaves. We were slaves to our desires, slaves to sin. We literally belonged to the enemy, to hell. And yet God redeemed us, making us his, producing new life. That's this girl. And there's something so fascinating playing out here. See, Joseph is just playing this really, really smart. He's choosing his battles. I'm not going to fight shaving my beard. I want my beard. It means a lot to me. But I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to fight wearing the Egyptian clothes. It's not my style, but I'm not going to fight it. He's not going to fight his new name, but he's also not going to promote Egypt's false religion. He's not going to worship Pharaoh. He's not going to make a sacrifice to Ra and appease the Egyptian majority and play that political game. He's being brilliant. It's something that we so often miss because some of us, and come on, it's a lot of us, we spend, we, we fight everything. Every little thing is a fight because here's how we view life. We just view culture as they're the villains and us Christians, we're wearing like the white hats and we're all good. So we're just gonna fight everything. Others of us accept everything. We wouldn't say this, we've, just, we've fallen in love with the world. What it promotes and what it celebrates doesn't bother us. In fact, we kinda want it, we, we want the world. Joseph is neither of those. He's gonna play this smart. Not gonna fight everything, I'm not gonna whine about everything, but I'm also not gonna buy everything as well. And he's giving us this huge approach to culture. Instead of a grumpy critic, be a wise evaluator. Any grumpy critics? Okay, just me. All right, I'll just preach to myself here then for a second. Nobody likes a grumpy critic. And yet it's often where we find ourselves. Right? Especially after watching the news. How many of you are guilty of, I'm going to get into bed, kind of calm down by scrolling social media, and 10 minutes later, you're fired up because you read something on social media, and now you can't fall asleep. Or that good friend texted you that fire meme, and now you're fired up about that. I've sat around a lot of fires this summer, and almost every one of those fires, and I'm to blame for this, almost every one of those friend hangouts turns into this gripe fest. Ah, taxes and politics in Chicago, crime, Illinois. And, and that, that criticalness, that criticalness has solved nothing. Nothing has changed for the better. That's not the story I want to live, criticizing everything and changing nothing. I mean, what a, what a miserable, powerless existence. What a sad story. And since I'm the only grumpy critic in here, let me just preach to myself for a second. If the shoe fits, cheers. You can come with. Some of us know what's wrong with everything in the world. Each politician, each movement, what's wrong with Disney and CNN and Fox. That's fine. It's even good. But if that's all you're known for, you will never be invited into the palace courts. You will never have much influence. You'll simply be a grouchy voice in a sea of negativity. Your words won't weigh very much. Nobody promotes the critic. 
In fact, people stop listening after a while because it just gets draining. Instead, be a wise evaluator. I think, okay, Junior, fine, you got me. I might be a whiny, grumpy critic, but you gotta give me more here. What do you, what do you mean by wise evaluator? Well, I'm glad you asked. Three R's that help you evaluate something. These are in your, these are in your notes. Let's say you're watching a show. You're watching a show, or you're reading a book, or you know, there's a new trend, or there's a product out there, or there's this march going on that you're thinking about being a part of, or there's this news item, and you're wondering, what do I do with this? Three R's to help you evaluate. First R is, do I receive this? Is this something that I can just receive fully? After I've done my homework on this article, or this trend, or this show, because we have to do our homework, we have to be wise. After I've done my homework, as a follower of Jesus, can I just receive this for what it is? There's nothing wrong with it. It does not go against God's word in any way. It is healthy. It is good. I can receive this. This is what Joseph does with his clothes, with his new hairstyle, with his title, with his name. Yeah, it might not be my style. might not be my culture, but it's not sin. It's not wrong. I can receive this. I'm not going to whine about it. I'm just going to, I can receive this. The second R is, okay, I can't receive this. I got to reject this. I've done my homework on this movement, or I've done my homework on this trend, or I've done my homework on this book, and this is wrong. It clearly goes against scripture. It goes against what God wants. It might be widely accepted. It might sound really, really nice, and everybody's really into it, but as a follower of Jesus, I cannot receive this. I don't need to make a big scene. I don't need to sit and whine about it, but I'm not going to buy it, and I'm not going to allow it into my house. This is a conversation that many Christians are having right now with streaming services. Certain streaming services are shamelessly promoting agendas that go against scripture. And so some Christians, and I'm not saying we should all do this, I'm just saying some Christians, after evaluating, they've decided we're going to reject these. We're not going to allow these into our home and we're not going to support those. Don't need to make a post about it and announce my departure. Don't need to gripe. Just not going to use this service. I'm going to reject it. Sometimes it's a gray area and a matter of conscience, but sometimes it's pretty clear it needs to be rejected. Joseph rejected the common practice of worshiping Pharaoh. He rejected the politic game. He rejected the worship of false gods and making a sacrifice of gratitude. He didn't make a scene about it. He just didn't partake. And as God's people, sometimes we have to remember this, as God's people, we're gonna have to reject some things. If we rarely reject anything, it means we're kind of accepting everything. Are we really different than the world then? See, our allegiance to Jesus Christ, not Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is often, I don't know who Jesus Christ is. We're going to reject that. <laughs> our allegiance to Jesus Christ is often seen in our willingness to reject what he rejects. This is a big deal. Our allegiance to Jesus Christ is often seen in rejecting what he rejects, our willingness to do that. You follow Jesus, then you're going to have to reject some things. And it's going to hurt sometimes. The third R is redeem. Redeem. So I've done my homework. I can receive this. I can't receive that. I have to reject that. It goes against scripture. But then there's this, this third category. Redeem. So I've looked into the show. I've looked into this book. I've looked into this trend. It's something I don't need to reject fully, but it's also something that I can't fully receive. It's not fully good, but I can redeem it. I can use it for good. Often these are very gray areas and matter of conscience for believers. And as, as believers, we have to have grace with each other because something that you might reject... I might be see as redeemable, and, and vice versa. For example, phones. 
Uh, some people reject smartphones, right, and social media because, ah, oh, it's just like a waste of time. It's too much of a distraction. We can do really bad things with this. It can take you away from community. People can be addicted to your phone, their phones. And those who reject it, I really respect that. I think that's probably a really good choice. But we can also use our phones for good. We can stay connected with family that's not in town. We can listen to really good podcasts. We can read scripture on it. We can redeem it and use it for good in the right use of it. It can be used for bad, but it does not go against scripture. It can be redeemed. So three R's. This is how we should view everything. We're introduced to something new, a news item, a trend, a book, a movie. Three R's. Is this something I can receive fully? Is this something I have to reject and I have to be okay with that? Or is this something that I can redeem? This is how we evaluate. Do your homework. That's important. And then we decide. We're not grumpy critics. We're wise evaluators. We do our homework. We choose our battles. We receive, reject, redeem. Here's the difference between a critic and an evaluator, because I know how this goes. Like critics, often we're going to sit here going, well, you know, I'm pretty wise. I'm just a realist. I'm a great evaluator. No, okay, you're a critic. The difference between a critic and a wise evaluator is, is do people see you as a hopeful person? Do they see you as a hopeful person? Cautious, but with vision of a good future. Hey, God's doing something. God's doing something. Or do they see you as just like this negative person? Everything's going to hell. I just can't wait. That's a critic. That's the difference. A wise evaluator promotes hope. Be that. Well, Joseph and his wife, they get busy. They knock sandals. They have a couple kids. Still in chapter 41. Look at verse 50, 51. 51. I'm not going to show it on the screen. You can look at it in your Bibles. Verse 51. It says that Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God, will make me, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Verse 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So think about this. They're living in Egypt. They're wearing Egyptian clothes. They're eating Egyptian food. They have Egyptian names. They talk Egyptian. They walk like an Egyptian. Eh, okay. I gotta come up with like 50 of these a year, so just give give me a break. (laughs) They're living in Egypt, but they're holding on to their identity. They are in the culture, but they are not of the culture. They are Egyptian-named parents who are naming their children Hebrew names. And this is huge. Gives us our third approach to culture. Instead Instead of seeing yourself as a victim, be an ambassador. Instead of seeing yourself as a victim, be an ambassador. How many of us see ourselves as victims in our society? I do, right? This political thing is not what I want. This is changing. Look at all these agendas. Look at all this false information. Ah, our kids, like, woe is us. I, I'm guilty of that. Joseph doesn't live this way. He could have. I mean, my goodness, if anybody's a victim, come on, it's Joseph. But he refuses to live there. Case in point, and this is what blows my mind when it comes to Joseph. Nowhere in this text do we see Joseph asking to go home. You ever thought about that? Isn't that wild? He's promoted by Pharaoh, second in command. He could have easily went to Pharaoh. I said, Pharaoh, thanks for the chariot. Thanks for the house. I just want to go home, though. I just want to go home. Can you send me home? I would have done that. Peace out, bro. I'm out of here. He doesn't do that. He sees himself as an ambassador with a far bigger assignment than spiraling into this victim mentality and quitting and wanting to just go home and wait it out. And that is a huge mind shift for all of us. People like me just sitting around, just waiting for Jesus to come back. Hey, I want Jesus to come back. Please, Jesus, come back. We're ready. Let's go. But we don't stop until then. You and I, we were made for such a time as this. God knew exactly what he was doing when he put our kids in this moment in history. He created them and equipped them for the world we live in. We have to have faith about that. We can live our days out as victims, 
or as ambassadors, and the choice is yours. And every morning you wake up, every attitude you adopt, every post you share, we choose one or the other. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? Which have you been choosing? See, the truth be told, a lot of us are freaking out about how to survive in this culture, and, and I get it because I am. I feel it. I can't tell you how many nights I've been up just thinking, like, the world I am sending my girls into. How do I equip them for this? Scares the heck out of me. Like, I'm serious. And there's oftentimes I think, like, let's just all go to camp. Let's just do it. Meanwhile, I think God's looking down saying, that's what you're concerned about? Surviving? That's why I put you here? That's all you want out of this? I put you here for such a time as this, and you just want to survive? I put you here to change, to transform, to redeem, to Joseph this place. Let's go. Let me finish with this thought. There's two different types of people. There's upstream people and there's downstream people. Most Christians live downstream. This is where most of us live. And we get frustrated because what's coming downstream, we don't like. We wouldn't choose what's coming downstream. We, uh, we turn on the radio. We don't get to decide what's being said. We live downstream. We turn on the TV and we don't decide what is shown or what is streamed because we're downstream. We go to the bookstore and we don't get to decide what, what's published. We don't get to make the laws and we don't get to determine pop songs. Those decisions are all made upstream and here we are downstream and we don't like it. Upstream people are the decision makers. They're the ones making the laws. They're the ones publishing the books. They're the ones creating the content for shows and music. They're the ones deciding what curriculum is put into schools. And so we have a, we have a choice to make. We can sit here downstream and whine about everything that's coming down from upstream. Maybe declare a war on culture. Declare a war on the river. This river's going to hell. It's never worked. Or we can decide to stream upstream and tactfully and graciously try to get ourselves in those conversations, in those decisions. Think about the life of Joseph. This is what Joseph did. He starts out way downstream. He's a slave. He doesn't get to speak into anything. But instead of making war on Egypt, he slowly but surely starts swimming upstream. A little bit of influence, a little more influence, a promotion. Never caves, never folds, never declares war. Just a little by, a little gain some influence. Another promotion brought into more conversations, meeting people, blessing more people. And suddenly he's way upstream, changing society. This is exactly why when he gets up here, he doesn't want to go home. Because he's thinking, why should I leave now? I'm, I'm going to change the river. This is why you're here to do this today. It's funny timing. I, my neighbor, he's a believer. He's a police officer in Mount Prospect. And he just got a, a promotion doing, doing stuff more within the, uh, within the community. And so I texted him and I said, hey man, I just, I, I'm super pumped for you. Like, I, I'm so glad that it's, it's you. You're, you're a believer. Like the opportunities you have in this new position and he texted me back and he said, I feel, I know I'm a police officer still, but I feel like I'm in this, this new pastoral role where I get to bless and influence way more people in this role. That's exactly what he's talking about. I get to, I get to be more upstream now. 
That's our marching orders. For example, I get so many emails about, you know, there are these, you know, curriculum changes that are happening in our school. Some, some you know, districts more than others, but, but changes being made in the curriculum. And, and we could sit here, and I've been told, Junior, you should preach about it. I could get up here and preach, fire up the choir. We could all go make T-shirts and go march. And maybe there's a place for that. I don't know. But I know what would make a difference if those who made the curriculum decisions knew Jesus. If they had people in their lives blessing them in the name of Jesus and serving the school in the name of Jesus and speaking into their lives graciously and, and tactfully. But if we declare war, it's just going to slow us down from getting upstream. And sure, we could stay downstream, dream of living at camp, fire each other up, we'll make our own river, whine about it. Or we could start swimming slowly but surely, tactfully and graciously, swimming upstream, asking God for, for more opportunities, bigger opportunities. That's why we're here. Not to somehow survive down here, but to swim upstream and change the current. See, as much as I hate to say it, the last thing my girls need from their dad is for me to leave a bunker behind with a bunch of food. They don't need that. What the next generation needs is for this generation to start swimming more. The best thing we can do for the next generation is for us to get up river and give them a different, a better current. But that won't happen by compromising at every turn and just trying to fit in. And it's not going to happen by just declaring war on everything. It happens through hard work, blessing. We're innocent as doves, but we're shrewd as snakes. And the name of God is always on our lips. Maybe it's time to just stop whining, start swimming. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.